0: Hey, what's up? This is Kristen Carter, and you're listening to the I Have ADHD podcast, episode number 191. I am medicated, I am caffeinated, and I am ready to roll. Today's episode is going to blow your mind, adhd so get ready for it. Buckle up. I'm speaking with Barbara Aerosmith-Young, who is known to those in the field of neuroscience as the woman who changed her brain. Now I'm going to tell you all about Barbara and we're going to have the most beautiful conversation. You're going to learn so much, but I want to first tell you, this is a full circle moment for me <laughs> because about 15 years ago, I owned a learning center, which implemented a brain training curriculum. And I used to read books on neuroscience because I'm dorky like that. And I read this fascinating book by Norman Deutsch called The Brain That Changes Itself. I go into detail about this book in episode 30 of this podcast, which is on neuroplasticity, which we'll be speaking about today. But anyway, in Deutsch's book, there's a chapter about a woman named Barbara Young who had healed her brain of severe learning disabilities through cognitive training exercises, much like the ones I was implementing with my students at the time. Fast forward to a few months ago, Barbara's team reached out to me to pitch her as a guest on this podcast, and I nearly fell out of my chair. Seriously, what is this life that I get to live that heroes and innovators that I've read about for years are wanting to have conversations and feature their work on this podcast? It's blowing my mind. It's a full circle, all coming together kind of experience. And I am jumping for joy because Barbara's story and the work that she does is so compelling. And you might even want to take advantage of her program, which I'm going to to tell you all about. And the reason why I think it's so important for you to hear from Barbara is that I know that so many ADHDers also have learning difficulties. You might be dyslexic or have auditory processing disorder or some other learning difference. And I want you to know that these types of difficulties can be trained and improved. And finally, 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 I have someone to recommend to you who is implementing training programs all over the world to help people with learning differences improve the way that their brains work. So adhd -er, you have hope. Your brain is willing to change and improve, and we know this because in the last 50 years, scientists have discovered that the brain is able to change both its physical structure and its functional organization in response to training and experience. It's willing to grow dendrites and to form new neural connections and to strengthen existing connections, to grow new neurons and to increase neurotransmitters, all of which fundamentally change the brain's capacity to learn and to function. And this can happen throughout the lifespan. My favorite phrase when it comes to neuroplasticity is that the brain is willing to change from the cradle to the grave, meaning it doesn't matter what time of life you are in, whether you are a child or a teen adult or an older adult, your brain is still willing to change from the cradle to the grave. It's never too late for you. And Barbara is going to share her story, which to be honest, I was holding back tears as she was sharing it. And she's going to explain how her program can help someone like you and someone like me. She's developed a program called Aerosmith that is helping people to change their brains. Barbara holds multiple degrees and has received several awards, including the 2019 Leaders and Legends Innovation Award from the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education from the University of Toronto. She's the director of Aerosmith School and Aerosmith Programs, and she continues to develop programs for students with specific learning difficulties. It is her vision that this program be available to all students struggling with specific learning difficulties so that they may know the ease and joy of learning and to realize their dreams. So please join me in welcoming Barbara Aerosmith-Young. What I would love to start with is, would you please share a little bit about your story? Because it's so compelling. And Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of my listeners, they're in all different parts of the world, all different ends of the neurodivergent spectrum. And some feel as though change is not possible for them. And Mm -hmm. I think what your story does and the work that you do, but your story in particular, what it does is it shines a light that anyone's brain can change. And that is thrilling. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would agree. I think, you know, Our understanding of neuroplasticity and the fact that we can leverage, if we understand the principles, we can actually leverage neuroplasticity is probably in my lifetime, the most exciting development because it can address all sorts of challenges or problems that before we thought were immutable, unchangeable, Mm -hmm. fixed. So my story started many years ago in the 1950s. When I started school, it was a time of what I call the pre-neuroplastic paradigm. So the belief at that time when I started grade one was your brain was fixed. So if there's any difficulty, you just needed to learn to live with it. So, and there wasn't even a concept. There wasn't even the term learning disability. Now I prefer learning difficulty in the Southern hemisphere. They use the term learning difficulty because it is a difficulty. It's a challenge, but I don't like disability. So just kind Mm -hmm. of state that at the beginning, but there wasn't even that concept. So in, in grade one, I was struggling to learn how to read, to learn how to write numbers. I mean, numbers meant nothing to me. So if you gave me 12 and 15 to add, I might add the five and then the one and then the two and then the one, you know, it's just, it was random. And then the next time I might add them up in another order. I still have some of my notebooks from then with all the big X's, the red X's, you know, you remember those red X's in the notebooks. And then a comment that the teacher, you know, if, you know, if Barbara would pay more attention, maybe she'd do better, you know, those things that, you know, the teachers were well-meaning. I actually got the strap in grade one like in those days you know children got the strap because I think you know my teacher I was just a conundrum to her Mm. she did not understand and she thought I was doing things willfully like let me tell you I wasn't that clever to be able to do these things willfully so I, I wrote everything backwards I read everything backwards you know and I just truly didn't get school. I didn't understand. And in those days, they had reading groups. So, you know, they had the the squirrels, the rabbits, and the turtles. Well, I don't know the you know if the adults thought that us kids didn't really understand that you didn't want to be in that turtle group right. but you know I was definitely I was in the turtles I struggled I didn't know it at that time that parts of my brain weren't performing in the ways they were designed to perform all I knew was school was incredibly challenging you know mm-hmm. I didn't skip out the door to go to school I dragged my feet and this my school was right across from my house right so I could look out the living room window and and see the school across the street Uh, a couple times my teacher had to dismiss the class for early recess because I was having a meltdown right like I was trying my little heart out but I I wasn't being successful and at that time my diagnosis was a mental block so I overheard my grade one teacher tell my mother Barbara has a mental block and being quite Literal at that age, I actually thought I had you know a children's cube in my head, like I thought I had a a block oh, bless <laughs> and, your you know that that was making learning difficult and later, I learned no, I didn't have a piece of wood in my head, but I did have blockages i mean and mm-hmm. for lack of a, a better description in that parts of my brain weren't doing what they were designed to do, and mm-hmm. you know what you know sort of struck terror into my heart. I heard, you know, my teacher tell my mother that, you know, Barbara's not going to really amount to much, that Mm -hmm. all of her schooling is going to be a struggle. And I really felt in grade one, I was given a life sentence that, you know, it's almost like, well, you might as well stop here because (laughs) there's, there's not much of a, a, a future so uh, most of grade one i spent in the washroom and i think it worked really well for me and for my teacher so i'd put up my hand and and go off to the washroom and my teacher would let me be there for half an hour 45 <sighs> minutes because it, it was easier and i i have compassion for her she was mm-hmm. a new teacher you know again this is in the 50s trying to do the best she could with very limited understanding of of learning mm-hmm. difficulties and she just she didn't understand me. So, you know i I've obviously got out of grade one and continued through my schooling. I say the one thing that she did get right is all of my schooling was a struggle. Like I can't if I think back of my schooling, I, I can't think of a moment of joy where learning, you know, was exciting um, mm-hmm. because, it was an incredible struggle. Like I had, mm-hmm. later, I was to understand that I had multiple learning difficulties, not just one. Like, a, mm-hmm. and you know, whether we want to put labels, I mean, I'm not a big fan. For me, I mean, I think labels are useful. You know, if you have diabetes, you need to understand it because it's a medical condition, and it has certain things that one must do to be able to thrive, as you, you mentioned earlier, and to uh, live your best life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, and though I think in the learning difficulty field labels tend to be used too broadly right like everybody yeah. we get a new label and everybody goes into that that category yeah. so then it's not really discriminative for how do we address those individuals mm-hmm. but you know because there wasn't a term you know i was called slow uh, mental block you know all those not nice terms that were used way back then. And my mother was an educator, right? So in grade one, she decided her daughter was gonna learn how to read and write and do arithmetic. So given the school was across the street, I came home at lunch to flashcards, right? I mean, wow. I, I did, I did get food. Um, also, <laughs> she was a nutritionist too. So she made sure I was well fed. But you know, the flashcards were up with letters and numbers and and then after school. So I, I joked that I became a workaholic in grade one. But that's what it took. So eventually, I learned how to read. And eventually, mm-hmm. I learned how to write. And I, I have a deep gratitude for, you know, what my mother did. I wasn't really happy at the time. But she ensured that I had the basic skills and, and numbers. And I learned, you know, that if she sat on the couch in a certain position with the window behind her, I could see the answer on the back side of the <laughs> flashcard. <laughs> like like children with learning challenges. You you find some oh, yes. compensations. Oh, but yes. my mother my mother was pretty clever, right? So she would put her thumb over the answer on the back. So I was thwarted. But you know, I think about all the the kind of heroic effort and workarounds that I created just to get through school. And I I had a really good auditory memory and a really Mm -hmm. good visual memory. And I think I developed them even more. So that was my, my coping mechanism. I would memorize my notebooks, right? And actually, I could, by the end of the process, I think I put myself in the Zen state at the beginning, I would cry my heart out, I would kneel down in my bed, in my bedroom, I'd put all my notebooks out. And I would just cry until there was no tears left. And I think I think I really put myself into a Zen state, right? Mm-hmm. Like clearing out that emotion. And then I would, you know, read and visualize the first few sentences, close my eyes, see them, then the next two, and then match them up. And it might take me a couple of hours, but by the end, I could look at the first sentence, close my eyes, and I could go through my whole notebook.
2: Wow.
1: Um, so, I, you know, I, I had the strength there, which individuals with learning difficulties often have strengths, Mm -hmm. but I think I really developed that. And so on an exam, I would look at the question and I would try to First of all, did I understand the question? But then i try to make a match. Okay, I think I saw something like this on page 25 of my notebook. Mm -hmm. So I'd flip through, and then I'd do a data dump. I'd put down uh, what I'd memorized. And sometimes I got 100% because I did a really good match, and sometimes I got 10% because actually I didn't understand the question. Mm. Uh, You know, so what I wrote down didn't answer it. Uh, it And again, though, my teachers thought, well, if she could get 100% here, and here she got 10%, she must not have studied. Well, I studied just as hard for that 10% as I did for the hundred percent. So that was, you know, that was, you know, my, my journey. And it didn't just affect me academically, but also socially, because I didn't Mm -hmm. really understand, I didn't comprehend well. Right. So that Mm -hmm. part of the brain that attaches meaning to things. Um, So what I would do if I was in a discussion with people, I would smile a lot. I would listen and I would memorize. And then I'd walk away like a little tape recorder and I would play that conversation over and over again. Mm -hmm. And it might, you know, be for a couple of hours. And I say, oh, I think that's what that person was saying. But that person hadn't waited the two hours for me to get it. Uh-huh. So I was not part of human discourse. You know, I just, I, I wasn't, you know, I could maybe relate to one person at a time, you know, if it was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sort of moved at the speed that I could move at. So, you know, I struggled academically, I struggled socially, and then I had what I call a kinesthetic problem. So the whole left side of my body was, it was like it was an alien being and it really was the somatosensory cortex in my right hemisphere didn't provide the sensory feedback to tell my body where it was in space and it also didn't register the location of pain so I could put my hand on a hot burner and if I wasn't looking I would feel pain like I registered pain but you know your brain normally tells you you know immediately like lift that hand off the burner right. my brain just told me oh you got a lot of pain going on somewhere. I remember once, you know, trying to close a drawer and feeling pain and thinking, what's going on? I looked down and my hand was in the drawer, right? That's why I wasn't closing. But my brain didn't register the location of the sensation. Um, so my mother used to joke that I'd be dead by the age of five because I was so uncoordinated. So I wasn't good in sports. Like, so I kind of had the trifecta. Like I wasn't wow. really good academically. Mm. I had challenges socially and yeah, I was the last child chosen for any sports team. And I understand I was no asset, you know, to, to that, you know, team, if a baseball came at me, I wanted to run in the other direction, because I was afraid it would hit me somewhere, and I couldn't judge. So, you know, and then when I started to drive a car, if I didn't know where the left side of my body was in space, I didn't know where the left side of that car was. So my car ended up kind of dinged and dented, you know, Mm. on on the left side, lots of accidents, I've got scars Mm. on my forehead, scars in different parts of my body, you know, where I, you know, connected my body to things that i shouldn't have connected to because i didn't know where i was in space so that that's was kind of the you know the early days of of my journey and i again being very lucky with my mother who was an educator but and my father was a scientist right and Mm -hmm. an inventor and he had this belief that he instilled in me he said if there's a problem in the world and there's no solution he said it's your responsibility to hunt for a solution and then he said, If the rest of the world tells you it's not possible, don't listen. He said, This is how science goes forward beyond conventional wisdom. And wow. I feel like he set me on a quest. You know, mm-hmm. I had no idea, <laughs> you know, was I up for it? But that resonated with mm-hmm. me. And it was when I think I was 26 years old, I was. You know, studying at the University of Toronto in school psychology, no accident. Again, I was trying to understand what was wrong with me, mm-hmm. uh, which led me to study child development and undergraduate and school psychology and graduate school. And someone handed me a book that changed my life. And it was Luria, the Russian neuropsychologist, who's one of the pillars of the work that I created, or foundations. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was called The Man with the Shattered World. And it told the story, Oliver Sacks wrote the introduction, it told the story of a Russian soldier, Leova Zazetsky, uh, who in, I can't remember, it was 1943, in World War II, in Russia, at a battle, had a very localized head wound, you a know, mm. piece of shrapnel in, in his brain. And so this book was Lurie explaining what was going on with this man's brain, and Zazetsky was keeping a journal, talking about his challenges and struggles. And when I read Zazetsky's journal, I thought, I could be writing the same journal. Like he, I knew I didn't have a piece of shrapnel in my brain, but everything he described, like I struggled with relational words, like smaller than, greater than,
2: mm.
1: you know, less than, more than, um, you know, and anything that's relational, before and after, you know, under and above. Like I, my mm. notebooks would be filled with drawings because I'd use my right hemisphere to translate language into images to try to understand language. And to see this man after the injury had the same troubles he couldn't tell time after the injury i mean before he was studying mathematics i mean he could absolutely tell time i was now 25 26 i still couldn't read a clock i still couldn't interpret the hour hand and minute hand yeah. i was really happy when digital <laughs> watches came because you didn't have to see that relationship yeah. so this was my aha moment where mm-hmm. you know to solve a problem you have to understand what is the nature of the problem mm-hmm. And now I understood it's my brain. Like there's something in my brain. Clearly, I know I don't have shrapnel, but something isn't working. Mm-hmm. And then what do I do about it? And at the same time, I was reading research coming out of Berkeley, Mark Rosenzweig's work, looking at neuroplasticity with rats, and discovering that you know you put rats in a stimulating environment with lots of toys to play with, their brains actually changed physiologically and functionally. They grew more dendrites, so more synaptic connections, more neurotransmitters, increased size of capillaries more glia cells mm-hmm. so I thought come on if rats can change their brains surely there's human neuroplasticity and I went to my professors I was studying for my master's and all of them to a one said well your brain is fixed like maybe there's plasticity up to age 11 maybe 12 but you're a little right. past that so right. you know there isn't and then they said and learning difficulties don't have anything to do with the brain so you know there 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 are two factors here well this was in uh, where was it in the late 70s right so that was a belief at that time and so i thought okay my i listened to what my father said if if the world tells you you can't do this don't listen i thought okay Good. if i can understand what the brain area does by looking at Luria's books and i read some of those books a hundred times because I still had the comprehension problem with highlighters and drawing diagrams. And if you look at my books, they're a mess. And then looking at Rosentrag's work and thinking, how do i stimulate or work just like you know like a muscle but work that part of the brain so Mm -hmm. i set on that quest that my father suggested many many years earlier and started creating cognitive exercises for myself and the first one was with clocks because again it wasn't that i wanted to tell time i wanted to make my brain process relationships and Mm -hmm it's you know we we hear that comment you know anytime we do anything our brain changes and that's true but i'm talking about really significant change in the brain that's sustainable so i don't know how many thousands of hours i worked on this exercise that i created for myself mm-hmm. and at a certain point i got really really fast i was able to read a two handed clock which was great but i didn't feel any change in my world right so mm-hmm. i thought i have to make it more complex and that's one of the principles To drive neuroplastic change is complexity. So I added another hand, right? So a second hand, right? So now I'm getting really fast and accurate at reading three hand clocks, and that was great. So now I can read a clock with a second hand. But again, I wasn't really feeling cognitive change. I said, what do I do? So I said, I'm going to add a fraction of a second. So now I've got four hands. And it was after I finished that level that my whole universe changed. That's when I knew there was human neuroplasticity. It was like, and a lot of students talk about this, like blinders came off. It was like I was seeing the world through a fog and all of a sudden that fog lifted. I could Mm -hmm. listen to people in real time and understand what they were saying. They asked me a question. I could understand it and answer it. I could watch things on TV, like 60 minutes before I had a friend watch it with me to interpret it for me. (laughs) You know, Uh, now I could listen to it and understand. Like I was living in real time, whereas before Mm -hmm. I talked about living in lag time, and understanding as things uh, as things happen, so I could I was part of human discourse for the first time in my life. That was so profound. Beyond now, I could understand mathematics, and now I could read philosophy and understand that. But I could actually understand people, and I could have mm-hmm. relationships with people. And to me, what was also fascinating because I have a really strong visual memory every night as I went to sleep images would play in my mind's eye from age four and five and six and seven Mm -hmm. and I'd say oh my gosh that's why this happened because with this difficulty there's no cause and effect there's no cause and effect you can't make that connection Mm -hmm. and it was like you know I described my psyche being very fractured and fragmented I was Mm -hmm. a very fractured and fragmented soul and it felt like through this process, like those pieces started to come together in a whole human being, it it was Mm. remarkable, I would never have thought, you know, and to me, that is just reinforced the power of our brain. It's not just academics, but it's our whole understanding of self and our understanding of our world and our relationship to it. So, and then when I saw the results and I addressed that clumsy part, the kinesthetic, I now no longer bang into things. I'm no longer a danger to myself. The left side of my body functions. And I had a spatial problem. I get lost everywhere. I created an exercise for that. I don't get lost. And then I thought, I have to take this work out into the world. It's great that it helped me. I want to help other people. And that Mm. was the birth of of this work. And we're now, I think, in 13 or 14 countries in 100 educational organizations. And my vision is, I just want to make this accessible all around Mm. the world to everyone.
0: I can't wait to get to that part because I I can't wait to connect my listeners with the work that you're doing, but I want to take it back to the exercises that you were doing with the clocks. Can you help us to understand how does that unlock So much in your brain. Were there other exercises involved, or was it just strengthening that particular location in the brain? Like, what was the connection between that exercise and so much change?
1: Yeah. So, I I think it's the nature of that part of the brain that this Mm -hmm. exercise works on. It's, It's called an association area, which means it has a unique place in the brain, and it's called a tertiary area. So, it has an abundance of connections with the rest of the brain. So some, some of my work, um, the exercise is very localized. Like it's, it's very specific to, you know, a specific area of the brain or a specific cognitive function. Because this one is working on an association area, stimulation there has a more generalized effect across the brain. That's what mm-hmm. I hypothesize.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What we're seeing, and we're doing imaging research, working with researchers both in Canada and the United States, and what we're seeing is significant networks. With that one exercise, change. So the default mode network, which is you know that kind of prefrontal cortex, it's, yeah. it's that big picture thinking. It, it gives us insight into ourselves, the connections within that network. Strengthen and the connections between that network and other networks strengthen. Mm -hmm. And then the other network that strengthens is the salience network. And the salience network has like the limbic system as part of it. So it's really critical when you're attaching, like, you know, you have a physiological. Feeling and an emotion kind of arises, and attaching that to what's happening in the external world. So, really getting a handle and understanding of your emotional responses. And then the other network that it's strengthening is the executive control network, so the frontal parietal Mm -hmm. network. So these three networks, which are really critical for understanding ourselves, understanding other people, empathy, moral reasoning, understanding relationships, the the connectivity is, is strengthening both within the network because there's within that network, there are multiple areas and mm-hmm. between networks. And one of the thoughts is that the default mode network is sort of more that internal, like that, you know, when we're thinking about ourselves, that internal processing and the salience network is a toggle in a sense. So it, it, it regulates, do I need to go out into the external world and Mm. and engage with the external world or kind of be still in that internal world? So it it says like, what's salient, what's critical? Like, you know, is there something out here that I should be paying attention? And then when it switches, it activates the executive control network. It says, okay, based on all this information, what action should I take in the world? And certainly we see, you know, individuals that go through this program has a significant impact on attention as well. It's not the only thing that can cause challenges with attention, right. but if those three networks aren't switching properly and aren't working properly, attention isn't going to be regulated well, mm-hmm. right? It's going to be mm-hmm. scattered like if if things don't have salience, you know, the butterfly yeah. in the room has the same importance as, you know, the the problem that they're trying to solve. Yeah. So, you know, it has as I said, it has significant impact mm-hmm. in in those cases where this is what's driving the attentional issues because we know Mm -hmm. attention is incredibly complex. It's not just one thing that drives attentional difficulties.
0: And now a word from our sponsor. Hey, Kristen here. I'm the host of this podcast, an ADHD expert and a certified life coach who's helped hundreds of adults with ADHD understand their unique brains and make real changes in their lives. If you're not sure what a life coach is, let me tell you. A life coach is someone who helps you achieve your goals like a personal trainer for your life. A life coach is a guide who holds your hand along the way as you take baby step after baby step to accomplish the things that you want to accomplish. A good life coach is a trained expert who knows how to look at situations, all situations with non-judgmental neutrality and offer you solutions that you've probably never even considered before. If you're being treated for your adhd and maybe even you've done some work in therapy and you want to add to your scaffolding of support you've got to join my group coaching program focused focused is where functional adults with adhd surround each other with encouragement and support and i lead the way with innovative and creative solutions to help you fully accept yourself understand your adhd and create the life that you've always wanted to create, even with ADHD. Go to ihaveadhd.com slash focused to join. And I hope to see you in our community today.
1: But the idea of each of the exercises I created is you first start with the brain. First start with a deep understanding of what is the nature of that function that you're trying to change and that's where luria was brilliant i mean i've not found anybody even to today that had the depth of insight into into the brain and its functions that he did Mm. so if you kind of start with that deep understanding then you think what do i need to do to make that work right like you know like what do i need to do and i believe there are multiple ways to get that function working i've picked specific ones for my work and we've got mm-hmm. lots of researchers so they're they're working but i believe other people can find other ways and have found other ways mm-hmm. into to stimulate function and then because i'm a bit of a research geek we track everything we do like it's, it's not good enough to say okay i have a theory and a hypothesis and i think this will work then i need to build the data to Mm -hmm. ensure and and we've got so much data now. Mm -hmm. We actually see also reduction in cortisol as students go through this work because having a learning difficulty is stressful. You know, you can't kind of leave your brain behind. (laughs) Like everywhere you go, your brain goes with you. And if there's a difficulty there in, in how you perceive something or understand something, it's stressful. And for me, no matter how much my parents, you know, said, I love you and you're amazing. When I walked into that classroom, that was not my experience. And that's where Mm -hmm. I spent most of my time. So, you know, I, I ended up with an autoimmune disorder and I, Years mm-hmm. ago, again, went to my professors. And I said, "I think this is because of my learning difficulty." No, 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 no. Well, now the research shows yes, there's a higher incidence of autoimmune disorders if you have a learning difficulty because you know all that cortisol, the endocrine mm-hmm. system, uh, you know, it, it's it's not a good combination. Yeah. And we've shown. The the students loved this part of the study because they got to spit right at the beginning of the study (laughs) and and at the end of the study because we measured saliva and there was a reduction in cortisol and and their mindset shifted like so we looked at mindset Mm -hmm. right like they Mm -hmm. they developed an open growth mindset because they were growing their brains it's kind of hard Mm -hmm. not to have a growth mindset their sense of well-being changed their happiness changed so they were reporting all these changes and physiologically their body was mirroring those changes with Mm -hmm. the reduction of cortisol. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, that's why I'm so passionate about this work For is, sure. you know, it, it, you know, it has wide implications. And we're doing a study right now in Australia with individuals with addiction challenges with the drug and alcohol addiction. And it's a treatment center in Queensland in Australia. And these are young adults. And I was very honored to be able to visit last May and get to meet the the individuals. And it's, it's again, with that exercise, if you can't do cause and effect, you can't benefit from the therapeutic process. Yep. So I, I could have been in therapy forever. Yep. And, you know, I probably would have been accused of being resistant, right? Like that I, mm. I wasn't, but I, I just couldn't make those connections. Mm. So what we're seeing is we work on that part of the brain that can make these connections, these individuals can benefit from the therapeutic process. And they can also wow. do consequential thinking, where mm. if I do this, then that might be the consequence. So maybe maybe I shouldn't start down that mm-hmm. that path. So, you know, one of the things I love in this work is there's so many possibilities, right? Yeah. In In terms yeah. of, you know, we all have a brain and what happens, you know, if we enhance that amazing yeah. organ that we carry with us everywhere.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm just thrilled to hear every single word that is coming out of your mouth right now. And especially, I just kind of want to simplify it for my listeners, because listener with ADHD comes difficulty with your executive function. And executive functions include nonverbal working memory, which is the mind's eye, correct? And then verbal working memory, which is the mind's voice. Uh, Prioritizing, planning, processing speed can often be affected. Auditory processing. Those specific brain functions are things that your program would help with, correct? I want to just make it very simple for the ADHD listener.
1: 100%. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And and. I was just looking at research data from a study we did this past summer. All mm. of those things shift as a result mm. of that first exercise that I, I created. And we've just now developed what I call an independent check-in model, more for adults to mm. access, because a lot of times adults can't come into a fixed set of hours, so they can do this work more independently. And mm. then every two weeks, they check in with a facilitator to mm. you know, answer questions. But as I said, yes, all of those things change mm. because it, it's the part of the brain that mediates all of those things that we're changing.
0: Yes. It's so hopeful to hear these words because when so many of us were diagnosed with ADHD, it was a process in which we were told like, okay, you have ADHD, here's some medication, go about your business, be on your way. We often are not told what it means, what's involved, how to help, what we might face as as struggles, mm-hmm. and how we can use different tools to improve. And so I know because I spent you know almost a decade actually doing brain training work with students in my town, which was just such a, a, a blessing to be able to do, I know that these areas of the brain are able to change, but I've never found a program that I could refer just like global clients to, you know? So now as an ADHD coach, I work with people all over the world and I often get questions regarding my I call it my previous life when I was working Mm -hmm. with, you know, students Mm -hmm. doing brain training work, which was so fun. And I haven't had anything to refer them to. So tell us about your program, how people can connect to it and, Mm -hmm. you know, how it might serve the ADHD community.
1: Absolutely. So... All the things. (laughs) I just threw like seven questions at you at one time. If I forget, I'll I'll, I'll (laughs) ask you to to, uh, restate (laughs) some of them. But so uh, if I start... you know, in terms of attention, like at, at that sure. point. So the things that my program can benefit is if it's cognitive, right? Mm-hmm. And and if it's in the neocortex, because they're, they're definitely, from my research and understanding, there could be some potential issues that are, are subcortical, right? Mm-hmm. and And so that's, those are the ones that probably medication is what's going to be required. And my work doesn't address those, but mm-hmm. the majority of them I believe the work addresses. So there's what we call a cognitive load in cases yes. where a student has multiple areas of are underperforming, like me, like where I had multiple areas. And so the response is to exert a lot more brain effort and processing to do things that should be more automatic and then the brain goes refractory what happens is it gets exhausted and you kind of get what they they call rolling brownouts right Mm -hmm. where that's where overwhelm
0: like being very overwhelmed and exhausted and kind of hung over from like your your day's work or something like that
1: exactly so in that case the attentional issues are strictly driven by that cognitive load or cognitive overwhelm. And we have programs for 19 different cognitive areas. We have a, an assessment process, and there's also a, a free questionnaire if people want to do that on our website that'll give them a report based on their responses to say, okay, it looks like this; these might be the areas that are, are causing you some difficulty. So as we strengthen those cognitive functions, it lightens the load, and then they don't need to put that extra effort into processing or retaining or whatever those areas are. So then attention uh, doesn't become, is no longer a problem. Mm -hmm. And then we work with individuals where it's a prefrontal cortex, either right or left hemisphere. And part of the job of the prefrontal Mm -hmm. cortex is to regulate goal-oriented attention, right? Like it's sort of, I've got a goal here. I want to accomplish it. What are the steps to accomplish it? And then as I'm moving along, it's also the part of the brain that allows you kind of to reflect, okay, this isn't working, so I have to modify it but it's a part of the brain that says oh that like pretty sh- pretty thing over here isn't something i should really be paying attention to it brings the brain back to the task at hand yep. and you know so it, it's a really important part of the brain that regulates and mm-hmm. controls attention and we have programs for the the prefrontal cortex both in the right and left hemisphere mm-hmm. and as that's strengthened what we see is the brain now can regulate attention and mm-hmm. you know we have students that come into the program all all around the world, and a number of them come in on medication. Mm -hmm. And I would say, I think the last statistic we looked at is by the end of the program, about 75% are off medication, because now the brain is regulating attention. And I have nothing against medication. Mm -hmm. I mean, if -hmm. it's needed, it's needed. Mm -hmm. But if we can get the brain to regulate the attention without medication that yeah. is i think very promising so wow. uh and then there could be emotional reasons why people you know you know there's post-traumatic stress disorder there's stress where it's just too painful to stay present mm. in those cases that needs a good therapist a good therapeutic mm-hmm. process right mm-hmm. so it's it's kind of i don't see attention as unidimensional it's really yeah. understanding what is what is driving those behaviors that we're seeing mm-hmm. but those first two cognitive load and prefrontal cortex our program absolutely mm-hmm. can address that and you know what i would encourage people I and mean, go ahead and take that questionnaire see does it resonate with you in terms yeah. of that and and you can you know after you take the questionnaire, there's, you know, an email you can contact us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got people that are really happy to talk and explore and see, do we have something that could be of, of benefit? And then the program is around the world. Like it's, It may not be, you know, my goal is to have it in every city in the world. It's, it's not. So there might be a program close to somebody. There might not. Mm-hmm. And COVID, one of the upsides of COVID for us was because all of our programs were in person. Um, we trained educators around the world and therapists to offer it in their physical locations. COVID shut those physical locations down. In three weeks, we were up and online. And we've now tracked data for the past two and a half years. And we're getting the exact same results of the in-person as the online. As I told you, I'm a big data geek, um, mainly because we're not teaching curriculum. We're providing cognitive programs with, you know, we've got mastery motivation built in. We've got goal setting, like Mm -hmm. all the... Good things that keep somebody motivated and on on track. So now this work is accessible, mm. you know, in a location where there may not be a physical location like that. That's my commitment. I'm kind of a development, uh, pusher of development to find different ways to get this work out and and accessible. So, you know, on our website, we list all the places we are in the world. Mm. There's contact details if there's something near you, or you Mm. can always contact us and and start a conversation. And Mm. we, you know, have many many options many options mm. and you know i listen to individuals and sometimes I say, okay oh we don't have that option yet maybe that's something uh, yeah. that i have to develop and sometimes i drive my team a little nuts because they say okay we already <laughs> have enough development work but but you know beside my computer here in my study i have a, a picture of a, a five-year-old student who came to me gosh in the 1990s and at that point my work didn't go down to that age right you know i think i was starting around age 10 and the parents said please please you know can you help our daughter and i thought oh you know but i thought okay i will try so i i modified the exercises to bring them down and she's now a medical doctor here in Toronto oh, and so the pictures goodness. there to remind me pushing the boundaries pushing the boundaries you know mm. again it's like you know that, that what I learned from my father you know it's it's never resting in what's done it's always look out there to what next what's possible what else can we do
0: Wow. Wow. How long are people in your program on average? How long does someone stay in the program?
1: So it it really depends. I mean, if it's a school-age student that's coming, that's got multiple learning difficulties, it's anywhere from a two- to four-year program. So they do their schooling with us, and the bulk of their day is working on cognitive programs. And then Mm -hmm. we put them back out into the regular school system at the appropriate grade. And even though they've only had math and English, they do really, really well. Because their brain now can process, it can understand, it can learn, it can retain, remember – they pick up all the other curriculum. Mm-hmm. So that's, if, if it's with a learning difficulty, adults that just want to, you know, maybe hone an area or sharpen an area, you know, we recommend doing it over kind of the, the 10-month span. But within mm-hmm. the first you know, like two months, they'll start to see cognitive change. And it's, then yeah. it's really how far did they want to go? Like, I've got levels that start at a little bit below average, because we work with people that, you know, mm-hmm. have a, a challenge in an area.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
1: I have levels that go up to exceptional ability. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: the idea is not just stop where this is functioning at an average level so Mm -hmm. a lot of people opt to go up to those Mm
2: -hmm. you know
1: kind of exceptional levels because they want to then go out and use that that capacity and to me what's exciting People say, okay, well, when I stop going to the gym, my muscles atrophy, does the same thing happen to my brain? And it really doesn't, because I believe what's what's different is you start to use that, you know, those new functions, like Mm -hmm. they just start to get stimulation by being used within the neural network, Mm -hmm. whereas before they were a drag on the network because they were underperforming, so they were making that network have to work really too hard to compensate. Now that area is engaged and fully functioning within that network and getting its stimulation. Like we've tracked people 40 years out of the program and there's no drop off of function. 40 years. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's
0: incredible. Yeah. I always loved answering that question for people as well with the, with the brain training program that I was implementing because I answered it the same way where when you stop going to the gym and you're just sitting in a cubicle all day mm-hmm. and you know, you're know you not using any of the muscles that you were using when you were going to the gym, it's not the same with the brain because once everything is engaged, you're using it. You're That's, using your yeah. memory. You're using your attention. You're using your process. All of it is working together all day long. And so those systems are you know able to carry so much more than they were ever able to before.
1: Absolutely. I mean it's it, it's I feel so blessed that I'm mm-hmm. doing the work that I'm doing in the field that I'm doing. I feel like, you know, Star Trek the New Frontier. I feel like yes. the brain the brain yes. is the 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 new frontier, right? And and like every day we're learning more. I mean mm. like it's it's so so exciting and and I think as we said earlier on I think like human neuroplasticity is for me, the most exciting development in, in my lifetime, it, mm-hmm. it's so promising. I have a, because of the autoimmune, I've got a chronic pain condition and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I reached out to people doing neuroplasticity work and pain and it, it's been a game changer for me because a lot of our pain is, you know, it's, it's the mm-hmm. tracks that get laid down in our brain, you know, it's, it's just, it's so hopeful and promising. Mm-hmm. That's
0: incredible. Is there anything that we're leaving out here, Barbara, that we can touch on before we kind of wrap it up?
1: One of the things that I think is important in understanding neuroplasticity is that it's actually a neutral concept. Like, neuroplasticity just means your brain can change. And our brain can change in positive ways and it can change in negative ways, mm. right? So, one of the things I just encourage people is reducing stress, like, however they can mm-hmm. reduce stress in their life, because we know stress. Prolonged stress. I mean, we all have stress at various points. but if you're you're living in you know stress for month after month after month without having any mechanism to break that cycle, mm. it actually can lead to deep pruning in the brain, right? Like mm. you know that that is is the negative side of of neuroplasticity. So I think things that we can all do in our life is keep a gratitude journal. Like we know actually, five minutes a day of giving gratitude actually has a protective effect on the brain, which, like, five minutes giving gratitude that's pretty amazing you know going out and walking in nature like you know Mm. these things that are accessible um i guess if you live in new york city maybe it's a little harder to go (laughs) we can go to central park you've got you know and we know how important sleep is right you know these things that we do have control over we may not Mm. all have access to cognitive programs i'm trying to change that but we do have access to things that that reduce stress in our our lives exercise like there's so much research now on the benefit of especially aerobic exercise mm-hmm. you know it, it stimulates brain derived neurotrophic factor which is like a repair mechanism in in the brain so i'd really mm-hmm. encourage people to look at their lives and where are the things that they can do that are positive for their brains and their their brain health you know, mm-hmm. meditation i mean there's again research on meditation you know that it increases gray matter that it it you know they compare elderly people that have meditated for years versus people that haven't Mm -hmm. you know that shrinkage that happens over time doesn't happen in people in in the brain you know that meditate so i would just encourage people to kind of take control of those aspects of their lives to protect this incredible asset that we have which Mm -hmm. is our brain and then if there's an opportunity you know to add in cognitive programming i'm i'm all for it and, and encourage it. We know this idea as we age, that how important cognitive reserve is, you know, that just like, you know, kind of building a muscle in, in the brain to stave off maybe the onset of Alzheimer's or dementia. Mm-hmm. It may not prevent it if one is predisposed to right. getting that condition. But, you know, if it gives you four or five good years of cognition, that's significant, and there's no medication that will, will right. do that. So it's really kind of, I think, you know, looking at one's life and how can we reduce the negative factors that drive negative neuroplasticity, and how can we increase the factors that, that we have control over that drive mm-hmm. positive neuroplasticity. So I would set mm-hmm. that challenge out to uh, all your listeners.
0: I love that. And I, I love how you made the distinction that so much of What is in our control is actually free. And I think that's really, really important because, you know, having listeners in varying places in the world and and socioeconomic standing. It's, it's just really important that we understand, all of us, that it doesn't have to cost money. Mm-hmm. We can meditate for free. We can go for a walk or run for free. We can access nature for free. Some of us have to go farther than others, but it is there for us, mm-hmm. right? There are so many things that we can do for free, and that's really important. I think a lot of times we feel out of control, like we don't have – you know if we're living in poverty we don't have control over you know our brain's functioning and yet there's so much that we can do that doesn't cost any money barbara tell us how to get in touch with you or your program how can we find out more information about what you do
1: the first protocol would be our website which has tons of detailed information so it's arrowsmithprogram.ca we're in Canada. There's that free questionnaire that I mentioned is on there. I really encourage people because you kind of get like a snapshot of your your cognitive profile, lots of videos, lots of research. You know, there's something for everyone that wants Mm -hmm. to dig in. And then there'll be an email address to reach out. I think it's called questions at arrowsmithprogram.ca. but you'll you'll see it on the website. Mm -hmm. And there will definitely be people that will respond to your questions Mm -hmm. As I said, there's a wealth of information, and there are actually two books, not written by me. There's the Brain Pioneer and Brain School, written by a, an educator on the west coast of Canada, that he's he's generously given us free downloads. <laughs> really great resources on this kind of work. So I encourage people, if they're interested, you know, download that. There are other books there as well that you have to actually purchase but these are these are two great resources you know to get sort of some more insight and understanding in into this kind of work Mm -hmm. and we do we really welcome people to contact us and also Mm -hmm. we have a list on our website of all the locations where we are uh, around the world but it's not limited. Now that we have online programs, uh, you can access those programs no matter where you are in the world.
2: Mm,
0: Such an exciting, exciting time. Thank you so much. I just appreciate your time. I'm so thrilled to be able to speak with you and the work that you're doing is so groundbreaking. It is just, Mm. it's incredible. And I'm so, so happy to be able to have you share with my listeners today.
1: Well, thank you. It's It's been a real pleasure and I thank you for the work uh, that you're doing because I think it's really, really critical mm-hmm. and really important. So thank, thank you. you.
0: If you're being treated for your ADHD, but you still don't feel like you're reaching your potential, you've got to join Focus. It's my monthly coaching membership where I teach you how to tame your wild thoughts and create the life that you've always wanted. No matter what season of life you're in or where you are in the world, Focused is for you. All materials and call recordings are stored in the site for you to access at your convenience. Go to IHaveADHD.com slash Focused for all the info.